Imagine a world where innovation knows no bounds. At BAE Systems Fast Labs, we're pioneering advanced technology and defense research, shaping the future of safety and security. Explore our website to uncover a realm of cutting-edge projects, collaborations, and visionary thinkers. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a defender of freedom, or just curious, Fast Labs is where groundbreaking solutions are born. Join us and be part of the future today. Visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs. Welcome to From the Crow's Nest, a podcast on electromagnetic spectrum operations, or EMSO. I'm your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows. Thanks for listening. In today's episode, I sit down with Mr. Michael Madrid. He is the Executive Director of the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum, or DEF. It's a national nonprofit organization that convenes events, forges partnerships, and delivers tangible solutions in order to promote a culture of change and innovation in national security. Michael, it's great to have you on From the Crow's Nest. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Ken. It's great to be here. We uh, recently were talking and and was very intrigued by the mission of DEF, and largely because a lot of our conversations here in electronic warfare, electromagnetic warfare community, when we're talking about future warfighting, comes down to innovation, and that's really what you specialize in. You know, I wanted to have you on the show to tell us a little bit about your organization and then how you hope to change the culture in DoD. Absolutely. And before we get started, your listeners uh, know the drill, but I'll do a quick disclaimer because I actually still am active duty Navy, but the views expressed here are my own and do not reflect those of the Department of Defense or the Navy. My time with death and, and service to the organization is definitely in a personal capacity. So with that out of the way, the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum started very much as a grassroots type of movement and network. Back in 2013, there was a, a group of junior to mid-career professionals in national security, many of them uh, active duty service members, who are uh, frustrated with the status quo, who believed there needed to be a fresh wave of innovation and more disruptive thinking. One of those was uh, Ben Coleman. He was a Navy F-18 pilot and a mentor of mine from a summer internship because I was still a midshipman at the Naval Academy in 2013. And uh, he and this this other group of founders put together a conference in Chicago uh, in October. And he told me I, I needed to come out for it. So I may or may not have snuck out of Annapolis for the weekend, flew to Chicago for this event. And you know, this group of folks, they put it together, never having met each other in person, largely by organizing online, um, on social media, by writing blog posts. Ben published a, an article that made the rounds called The Military Needs More Disruptive Thinkers in the Small Wars Journal that fueled a lot of this uh, initial movement. And so when they met up in Chicago to pull off this conference, they didn't know if anybody was going to come. But it turns out there were over 100 people. It turns out there were a lot of people who felt galvanized by this mission, who wanted to have outsized impact and contribute to new technology, to new innovation, to new culture change. And the organization has just grown exponentially pretty much since then. It incorporated as a 501c3 in 2015. I actually put together the first DEFX or regional conference uh, in 2014, but then I went overseas for four years, two years on a ship in Japan, and then two years on a ship based in Rota, Spain. So in that time, I, I tried to do some local efforts at those bases, but really just kept in touch with the organization through the people I had met and the relationships. They quickly became you know, very fast friendships and, and mentorships. And you can see kind of from the start how the recognition for this uh, movement was already in the minds and hearts of a lot of people. It just needed kind of that forcing function to start to bring people together in kind of a different capacity than, than what they might have 
had access to previously through their normal channels in DOD or military services. I think that's exactly right. And we've seen that proven again and again over the years, which I think is one of the reasons DEF is still is still around and as vibrant as it is today. It brings together people who may be in very different stovepipes or very different organizations, but are fueled by a common passion and a common mission. And that, I think, is, is the majority of the magic of the community because these people are coming from such different backgrounds and mixing together. You have a tagline of, of inspire, connect, and empower. And I really like that because it kind of creates almost like a circle because obviously one leads to the other. But when you start to empower people, you actually then end up inspiring more people. And there's that, that cycle of growth that starts to spread around the defense community. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Uh, and empower is a really important piece of that to me because we're an action-based community. One of our, our core values is to, to have a bias for action. So at the end of the day, we don't want it to just be events and conversations and discussions. We want people to go out there and put action to their words and be able to experiment, be able to try and build minimum viable prototypes, be able to collaborate with each other to produce new outcomes. That's definitely an important piece to us. I want to get back just to that idea of bringing people together and really leveraging the expertise, not just that resides in the Pentagon, but also in commercial sector, even across all types of commercial sectors, whether it's telecom or healthcare or or energy. There's things that we can learn and, and bring into DOD and in, into the DOD culture that can help us be better innovators across the board. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I'm in radical agreement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cross cross pollination is is definitely one of the the ways we go about that. And I think one of the unique benefits or values of our community specifically is how wide ranging the membership is. I mean, at any given event or at any given uh, moment of interaction, you'll have people from the private and the public sector, from the military services or the civilian services and contractors to those people in the private sector who are at startups, medium-sized companies to the big primes. I mean, you have people from academia, from other nonprofits, from from all these different walks of life. And originally, and, and still to this day, a lot of the focus of entrepreneurship in our name and in our discussions is about taking that mindset that set of values, that set of business practices, and bringing that into the world's largest bureaucracy and seeing what we can learn from it and also vice versa. Hello, everyone. I want to take a short break to thank BAE Systems Fast Labs for the continued support for our From the Crow's Nest podcast. I am pleased to be here today with Bill Watson, Chief Scientist at BAE Systems Fast Labs. Bill, it's great to be here with you. Now, BAE Systems Fast Labs is BAE Systems Research and Development and Production Organization. Can you tell us a little bit about Fast Labs as well as your background? Yes, and thank you for having me. A BAE Systems Fast Labs is dedicated to innovating, disruptive next generation solutions for the critical defense and intelligence challenges. Of course, electronic warfare is one of our key focus areas, but in addition to that, we also do research in autonomy and AI, sensing and response advanced microelectronics, communications, and navigation. I've been working in the RF, that is radio frequency research community for over 20 years, a short time in the United States Air Force, followed by specific research and development. My work in the last 20 years has been singularly focused on DARPA research and within the last 10 years at BAE Systems Fast Lab specifically. Technology we work on spans sensor processing through high-level sense making up to tactical and operational level autonomy and decision-making support. And one of the key differentiators about BA Fast Labs is the research that we do uh, is intended to find its way 
to benefit the warfighter. This has been an important topic through many of our recent episodes here on From the Crow's Nest. Can you talk a little bit more about that technology? And for our audience, how does it change or affect our EW capabilities that we're trying to field? In our work with leading uh, DoD customers like DARPA or AFRL, we focus on developing technologies that will uh, advance future solutions from overcoming today's challenges to developing technologies never before thought to be possible. We then transition our technology to feelable products that benefit our warfighters through partnership with BA Systems, Electronic Systems, product lines. As a specific example, I thought I'd use a movie you may or may not be familiar with. It was called Battle Los Angeles. It was from 2011. And in that movie, aliens had, had invaded. And what the characters in the movie found is that whenever they keyed their microphones on their radios, they could be easily geolocated and targeted. What the movie presented as science fiction for us is, in fact, science fact. This is the type of technology that we work on and exist today where the physics meets the real world. This sounds like absolutely fascinating work. What is the next area that you see for research and development? And if anyone is interested in learning more, how can they reach out to you? Well, we can't say too much because of the sensitivity of our work and classification levels. But in Fast Labs, we are always working on the future state. No matter what the future threats are, we will continue to focus on solving the hardest problems to benefit the warfighter. If you're interested in more information about Fast Labs, you can connect with us on our website at basystems.com slash fastlabs. Well, thank you, Bill, for joining me here on From the Crow's Nest. And now it's time to get back to our show. You mentioned earlier about the DOD bureaucracy and one of the kind of the fundamental attributes of of any bureaucracy, but it's, it's especially relevant or prevalent in DOD, is this notion of or this avoidance of risk. When you look at the modern battle space, what you need to do to win in the next conflict, you need speed, you need connectivity, you need agility, and you need to do that faster than you've ever been able to do it before. Obviously, the threat is constantly changing the, from an electromagnetic spectrum uh, perspective. You know, it's it's a complex and congested environment that every day we have to rethink how to get an advantage in at the time and place and for the duration that we need. So this requires risk. So how, from, a, from your organization, like, how do you begin to address this? And, and then from that, how do you allow that risk to lead to the next capability that we need in the field tomorrow? And as we dive into this, I should give due you know, credit to the balance that exists. I mean, bureaucracy was developed initially for a reason and has its necessary attributes. So I'm, I'm a bureaucracy hacker, and I may not feel like I thrive in a bureaucracy, but I also understand when and where it's necessary. And so when you apply that to risk, there's obviously risk and situations of, of failure that we cannot tolerate and that we should not tolerate. But the differentiation there is key. I think there, there is risk that we should take on that we can manage. And we should also be cognizant of the risk of not innovating or the risk of not embracing new technologies and new strategies. Entrepreneurs deal with risk all the time. And they manage that by, by iterating, by failing, you know, all the phrases that we're familiar with now, failing fast, failing forward, failing often, and most importantly, learning from those things, uh, building, building minimum viable prototypes before you invest, you know, endless amounts of time and, and resources into something so that you can learn and adjust while it's still in the early phases. Those are some of the lessons of entrepreneurship that the people of DEF want to you know, make part of our organizations or the DOD's uh, organizational DNA. 
when you talk about risk, I mean, I, I think that sometimes, you know, we, we oftentimes talk about risk with prototypes, technology development, you know, experimentation. But there's a cascading effect to how it affects other capabilities and development, other technologies. And I feel it's like sometimes the, the bureaucracy for good or ill starts to contain that. And so you get these pockets of bright spots, but it's not necessarily contagious throughout the, the wider bureaucracy. So what is the next step? So when you when you start to accept this, when you start to experiment, when you start to innovate, how do you take that next step to kind of bring into that that contagious aspect of of innovation where it catches on in other areas. Yeah, many of our members have many opinions and very strong theories on this, which which leads to really engaging discussions. I appreciate that you brought up pockets and sort of this idea of of isolated cells in which innovation might occur, um, but then the struggle to really transition that into the broader culture and the broader organization. And I think if you look, if you you know take a step back and you look at the last eight years that DEF has been around and what the national security ecosystem was like when it started um, versus what it is today, you see definitely a large trend of um, innovation. And in the early days of DEF, they referred to it a lot as disruptive thinking, but I'll say innovation has definitely caught on, right? Everybody now wants to do innovation, talks about innovation, recognizes the need for it. The word is honestly a bit cliched <laughs> and hard to hear sometimes. And sometimes a lot of that innovation can be personality driven, which is great and necessary, but sometimes insufficient if it's just a single personality in a leadership role who who champions it, who creates something new, but then that organization struggles to remain viable in the long run, whether it's for resources or legitimacy after that personality moves on. Uh, and this happens in all industries and all sectors. And again, just this idea of, of innovation is something that happens in that cell, that that group of people over there on the other floor. Like they're the ones doing innovation. Keep it over there and stay out of my way. I think we still have a little bit or maybe a lot of that that we need to overcome. And so, you know, DEF's mission statement of being to promote a culture of innovation. When we when we say that, we're thinking of generational culture change across the whole organization, something that will will take and then last, you know, much longer than any of any of us on the volunteer team, for example. Electromagnetic energy is a fundamental part of our universe. Humans discovered ways to use this energy for many purposes, from radio to TV, smartphones to Wi-Fi, the list goes on. But electromagnetic energy also influenced another major sector, military operations. Along came the crows, people who learned electromagnetic energy, applied it to military combat operations, and forever impacted modern warfare. Introducing the History of Crows podcast. The History of Crows will take you through the global history of electromagnetic warfare and electromagnetic spectrum operations, from the earliest scientific discoveries to modern military operations around the world. If you are a student of history or are curious about unique contributions to military operations from the turn of the 20th century to present, subscribe now to The History of Crows on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever great podcasts are found. You mentioned you know the, the role of personalities sometimes in advancing innovation. At least sometimes that creates a spike in the short term where things move forward, but it, it doesn't necessarily have uh, longevity to to that change. And so I want to talk a little bit about leadership, the role of leadership, because we talk about having people in the right p 
positions, but we also have to have those positions crafted in such a way so that leaders can come and go, particularly in DOD, where you change in and out every couple years. You need the position itself to be a leadership role that allows the personality in office to take ownership of the problem while they're there. So can you talk a little bit about what your views are in terms of how do you strengthen leadership in DOD so that people in various positions can take ownership of a problem and really push for change that is long lasting and has an enduring impact on the development of new technology? Well, I, I think two things come to mind when you ask that question. One is it's a, I, I believe in like a whole of enterprise uh, approach because we do have great leaders and we do have champions of innovation, champions of change, and many of them are champions of deaf and deaf members. But you need, I think, a whole of enterprise approach. And I'm, I'm certainly speaking for many, for many folks when uh, I think, <laughs> uh, when I say, you know, we've, we've witnessed senior leadership supporting an initiative or supporting a change or supporting a mindset. And then that not ripple throughout the the whole of the organization. And so you can have junior folks receive, as we would say, top cover from a senior leader, let's say to go do a project, to go make a prototype or to go experiment with something. And you can still see that die on the vine, even if they have two, three, four star coverage. Sometimes that still dies on the vine because there are so many layers to our organizations and you know, we're not really bought in as a whole of enterprise, you know, on the importance of this innovation or the importance of letting people stray off the golden path, for example. And that brings me to the second thought of your question that, you know, when we think about people's careers in the military or in the services, in a lot of cases, there are there are golden paths or there are, you know, things that they are supposed to do and not do. And we still see many folks who get involved in innovation end up uh, with their careers uh, ended or stalled. Um, and they might go and serve at, you know, Kessel Run, for example, and then that, that was their terminal tour and, and what a shame, you know, that is. So when you think about culture and you think about being systems and norms that you know drive behavior, the, the things that really drive your behavior, in my opinion, are not the, the words on the motivational poster in the conference room um, on the wall. It's the incentives and the disincentives and the processes you use every day. And so you know, we have to protect and, and promote and value you know, the leaders and, the, and, and not just leaders, the people in the organization who care uh, about innovation, who are willing to be brave and to try to do something different. We need to protect that instead of a tried it. And with protecting people, there was a there was a hearing back in April before the uh, Senate Armed Services Committee. And one of the witnesses was a uh, Dr. Adam Grant. He talked extensively about this this notion of uh, culture in DOD. And uh, he, he said that DOD's culture is a threat to national security. But really, and, and which was a bold statement, obviously, it, it got a lot of people's attention, but his underlying point was there's this role of people at all different levels and the role that these people play both to, as they try to advance their career, as they as they try to find their place in these new agents, in these agencies that can allow them to push new ideas up through uh, development, to really try to experiment. So what are some of the things that DOD can do today that can really help these people throughout DOD, throughout some of the other adjacent sectors to really take advantage of the opportunities in their their professions in DOD to advance innovation. That was quite the bold statement in that testimony that you referenced. And I, I believe Adam, uh, Dr. Grant was 
you're referring to a lot of his time on the Defense Innovation Board, which was the executive director there is Josh Marquise, who's a DEF board member and, and a longtime champion. So it was definitely a striking statement. Um, could perhaps not be a better rallying cry for an organization dedicated to culture change in DOD. <laughs> definitely galvanizes a lot of people in our community. Obviously, his point wasn't to offend or anything. I mean, it was, it was, it was a very, it was a strong point that got people's attention that really kind of got to the heart of the issue between technology and people. Exactly. And you're and you're so very right. This is a point I try to bring up often that when when we talk about innovation, a lot of the time uh, people are thinking in and referring to technology and to emerging technology and in all of its different shapes and forms. And it really just comes back to the people. You know, you really have to get the culture and, and the people portion of it right as well. And I think that is another thing that differentiates DEF from a lot of complementary organizations and movements in the space is our focus and emphasis, not just on the technology side of innovation, but on the people side and how important culture is. And so everything from, you know, diversity to psychological safety to, again, empowering people no matter where they are in the organization, if they have a good idea and they're willing to work hard inculcating a culture of experimentation and learning and, you know, changing a little bit how we think about failure and risk. A lot of the things we've already talked about just in the last 20 minutes, these are all, you know, meta themes that people in DEF believe in, that think about, write about, try to bring to their to their jobs every day. So we were introduced this week, obviously, in, in previous conversation. And so I think there's a natural alignment between AOC and DEF. And so we are working on a future event sometime here in July uh, in person where we bring our organizations together a little bit and talk about innovation and take talk about EMS superiority and the, the role that that has. So I wanted, and, and these are called drinking things. So I want to kind of go ask you, uh, it's a great concept, but what are some of the things that DEF does to bring these people together from a programmatic perspective, these types of in-person events, as well as you have some online or uh, virtual activities too, to bring these people together? Yeah, so from a programmatic uh, aspect, our community is organized uh, locally into agoras. That's what we call our chapters. And it, it definitely is that historic reference and was also chosen um, back in the day to kind of convey this sense of people not, not just coming together, but also, again, this sense of action and this theme of coming together to exchange ideas and to do things and accomplish things together. There was definitely supposed to be this element of action and vitality to it. So thousands of members all over the the country organized into these different agoras at different uh, hubs and, and cities around the country. The one in D.C., of course, is quite active. Turns out there's a lot of national security here. And one of the ways that's expressed is is with uh, monthly or roughly monthly events, uh, many of which are called Drink and Thinks, to your point. There are lots of creative names uh, our different groups uh, use, like Lincoln Learns and, and such. But Drink and Think is, uh, of course, a popular one. It's amazing the, the kinds of good conversations that can come together on a, on a weekday uh, evening, with a, a little bit of a happy hour, a little bit of a reception, perhaps a speaker or a panel, or uh, in many cases, like an interactive, a hands-on uh, workshop. There's there's lots of different formats that takes. There's lots of different topics we explore, um, like the one you just shared. And uh, you're right, the DC Agora is excited to get back to in-person events after the last uh, year and a half or so of having to do everything virtually. And we're also looking forward to our, our annual conference. You know, I started this by telling the story of that very first one in Chicago. Uh, and it's been in different cities over the year from Austin to Denver and came to D.C. for the first time in 2019. And we've adopted a, a model of alternating in D.C. every other year. 
And so 2021 is a DC year. We're planning for October 21 to 24, an evening a happy hour on a Thursday, and then two full days of content on Friday and Saturday, and probably a brunch send off on Sunday. But it's those are um, fantastic opportunities. It feels like a reunion for a lot of the people who've been in deaf for a long time, but it's also an opportunity to grow our community and meet tons of new people. So I definitely encourage your listeners to join in uh, if they're in DC uh, with the DC Agora, but wherever they are, there's likely members uh, near them. We'll definitely look forward to that. And uh, I saw that on your website. It's, it looks like a great event coming up. So uh, we'll, we'll make sure to keep our eye on that. And and the other thing that you do, and this is another reason why I wanted to have you on the show, is Def does have its own podcast too. So we're hoping that this new relationship here, that we can start to work together and maybe you know use the podcast platform as a way of sharing expertise and sharing opportunities to kind of talk about some of these issues. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. We affectionately uh, named our podcast the Minimum Viable Podcast, or MVP. And uh, often, to be honest, a lot of those episodes are actually recordings of uh, our virtual events that we've been having over the last year and some that are post-produced for the podcast, because we definitely like to promote live interaction. But then there's also often so much good content there. We like to you know, be able to make it available in some form or fashion after the fact to our to our members and, and to uh, those listening. All right. Well, well, thank you for uh, joining me, Michael. And, and for any of our listeners who are interested in learning more about DEF, you can go to def.org and learn more about the organization. Uh, but I thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to, uh, to talk with me today and looking forward to working with you in the future. Same to you. Likewise. Thanks. All right. Thank you. That will conclude this episode of From the Crow's Nest. Thank you, Michael, for joining me. I know AOC looks forward to working with Def in the future. Finally, don't miss our newest podcast, The History of Crows, which chronicles the history of electromagnetic spectrum operations. All of our podcasts are available on our website at crows.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Fast Labs, powered by BAE Systems, is at the forefront of advanced technology and defense research, development, and production. They're pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and innovating for a safer world. Check them out at www.baesystems.com/fastlabs.